Well, good morning, Docs Church. It's great to see you. David, those were amazing announcements. AK and 47 are coming out to play. That's great, okay? But guys, it's, uh, it's awesome to see you, awesome to be together. For those of you I can't see on the live stream, is we, we miss you, but it's awesome to, to be able to gather virtually this morning. Guys, if you are new or visiting, my name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors here, and just welcome to the Doxa family, all right? It's, it's awesome to have you here. Hope you guys feel welcomed and, and loved. I would love the opportunity to, to get a chance to, to meet you. So before you head out, if you just want to grab me, and well, it's COVID, you can't grab me, but just come say hi and, you know, just introduce yourself. I would absolutely just love that. But we are in the midst of a long study through the letter of 1 Corinthians. So I want to invite you to grab your Bible and open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul wrote this many, many years ago to really just a struggling church that he started in the ancient city of Corinth. And up until this point, we've, we've seen that just like many of these Christians in Corinth were just a hot mess, right? Like if 1 Corinthians was turned into like a reality TV show, it'd be like Christians gone wild, okay? So it's just like there's a ton of stuff going on in this church. It's just a bunch of bad stuff. There's, there's sin, there's divisions, there's just all types of immorality. And, and you know, for me, as I've been like reading through this book and, and studying and we've been getting into it together, I've, I found myself like have this like just overarching feeling as we've been looking at this church. And it's this, man, God, I am so thankful that Doxa is not like the church in Corinth, right? Because as you read through 1 Corinthians, there's so many just sad and bad and destructive things happening in this church that I'm just honestly so happy that we're not dealing with it right now. I mean, after 2020, I don't know if I have enough gas in the tank to do anything else with this, right? But I look at this church and, and I just see like the opposite thing happening with Doxa. Like we have so many indicators of health. I mean, if you just consider just the last month or two of our church, We've, we've seen just so many exciting things that we have celebrated, that we continue to celebrate, that we're looking forward to. I mean, we have a team of people going to Osaka, Japan in just a few months to start a new church. In about a year and a half, Lord willing, we're going to be sending out another team to Ann Arbor, Michigan to start another new church and a new salt company. We've seen people come to meet Jesus. We've seen people getting baptized, new leaders kind of emerging and stepping up and just leading in so many different areas of our church. Like giving is increasing. Attendance continues to grow. Doxa Kids, Doxa Youth is just booming. Salt Company is just going strong. So many good things. It just made me think, I'm so glad we're not like Corinth. Now, here's the question. With all that I just shared about Doxa, as you look around to this beautiful space that we have, here's the question. What would it take for everything to come crashing down? Like, what would it take for our church to start entering a decline and just like a downward spiral towards death? Maybe you're thinking, wow, that just took a sharp, hard turn, right? Where's this going? But here's the thing. Guys, great, healthy, growing churches can quickly go into decline and spiral towards death. And this is what Paul is dealing with here in this letter to the Corinthians, that the Corinthian church was, in fact, like a great church. God had blessed them greatly. They were, they were gifted. They were growing. They were young. It was like everybody was cool and beautiful. Like they were looking at their church, and they were just thinking, like, man, like, we're something. Like, we got something really special going on, and, man, I can't wait. We're going to go on forever, and I can't wait to see what is going to happen with this church. It's just going to last forever. And Paul basically steps in, and he essentially tells this church this. 
you shouldn't assume that that's going to be your story. And he's saying that the way you're beginning to think, the way that you're beginning to live, the theological and the moral compromises that you're starting to make, while those things, they don't seem like a really big deal right now for you, if you keep going in that direction, the church is going to lose its way and things are going to go downhill very, very quickly. This is the Corinthian church. They're beginning this downward spiral, and this is what Paul is really just trying to rectify. And while this is like a history lesson for us, I want you to hear this. This is also like a warning to us. Because as I consider like Doxa Church, I really believe that God has some great things in the future of our church. And I really believe that the best is yet to come. But at this, on the other side of the coin, I really believe that we could get in the way and we could cause like a young, healthy church on the move to just decline and tank. And here's how. One thing above everything. Doxa, it's pride. It's pride. Pride is at the root of all sin. Pride is what caused Satan to rebel against God and get kicked out of heaven. James chapter four says that God is opposed to the proud. If you read the book of Proverbs, we see that pride comes before the fall. Doxa, God hates pride. And pride is really essentially at the root of all the problems in Corinth. Pride is causing divisions. Pride is causing boasting in men. Pride is, is causing these false teachings and immorality to emerge. And Doxa, I just want you to know, and this is what I've I really been pressed on this as I've spent some time in this passage, that if we allow it, pride will kill our church. But here's the question. All right, maybe you're, you're sitting here thinking like, man, I got a lot of stuff going on in my life. I was really hoping that there would be a message like about me today, like really applicable to me. Like, you know, I, I love Doxa, I, I love the church, and, but I got a lot of stuff going on. Like Rob's paid to worry about the stuff of the church. Like why? Like why should I care about the church? Like how does this apply to me? I mean, really, like think about that question. Like why should any of us like really care about the health and the state of our church? I'm so glad that you asked that question because Paul answers this in verse 16. Look at this. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Here is why every Christian should care about the church and love the church. Paul says that we are God's temple. All right, and Paul here, he, he's not speaking of like the individual body of a person. He's going to get into that in a couple weeks as we get into chapter 6. But here, he's talking about the corporate collective church, that we are the temple of God. And when he says this, this would have been like extremely relevant to Jewish listeners because they knew that the temple of God in the Old Testament signified the place where God's glory dwelled that God had manifested himself to the people and he symbolically put his glory in the Ark of the Covenant and then it was placed in the temple. And so when the Israelite would hear and think about the temple, they would think about the place where God dwelled. And so Paul is saying that the same way that God dwelt in his temple, symbolically manifesting his presence among the people in the Old Testament, now, after the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus following the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit descended on God's people, God has now revealed himself and manifested himself in a whole new different temple. That the church now is the dwelling place of God. That God resides by his spirit in his people. And so guys, what this means is that the local church in Corinth was the dwelling place of God and the local church everywhere 
is in fact the dwelling place of God. That when God's people come together like we are right now and they gather around God's word and God's purposes and God's glory, hear this, in a very unique way, God's spirit dwells there. I mean, this is the key thing about the church, that it's not about a church's size, it's not about a church's building or a church's like programs or curriculum or ministries or anything like that. The key thing about a church is it's God. And so that people would come into the church and they would say, God dwells there. I can't explain it, something's happening, God is here. And God's presence will be, will be evident in worship of his people because when the spirit of God is in a person through faith, he creates in them like a sacrifice of praise and just lips that acknowledge his name. And when you take hundreds of people like we are right now, gathering together, who are offering up a sacrifice of praise, and an outsider comes in, right, there is a certain level of immediate discomfort that they should feel because they're recognizing these people know someone and something that I don't. And that discomfort shouldn't push them away but draw them in because we are all longing for God because he made us. And when they come to a place where God is, his people, and they hear the worship and they see the love and they feel all the things, they say God is here and it draws people in. Is that any of your stories? I remember being around Christians and being around the church and thinking like they're super weird but there's something compelling. Amen? But this is it. This is what we're talking about. And so we just need to understand this. The church is not the building, but it's the people who live their lives together, love Jesus together, and are filled with the Holy Spirit, and who sacrifice, give, and love one another as they walk with God. That's our family. It's all the relationships and all the people loving and serving together. That's what it is to be the church, that the church is not just a place, but a people. Like I oftentimes call this, not the church. I'm like, kids are saying, where are you going, dad? I'm like, I'm going to the building. Because it's not the church building, right? It's, we are the church. And that's why Paul says, if you get this, that God's spirit is uniquely special with us right now, an attack on the church, right? Bringing about division, people bringing about doctrinal and moral compromises. It's really just an attack on God because the church belongs to God and the church is a really sacred place. And so Doxa, God loves the church. He looks out for the church. He protects the church. And what Paul is showing the Corinthians and us right off the bat in 1 Corinthians is that pride will destroy the church that God loves and Jesus died for. And so Paul warns them, look at verse 17, that this is such a big deal to God that he will destroy those who destroy the church. And so this is very much a warning and God says, I'm going to protect my church, and if someone or something is going to seek to destroy my dwelling place, I have a major issue with that, and God is going to work to maintain the unity and the purity of the church. And Paul is just reminding the Corinthians of this because their pride is out of control. It's causing divisions, and it's really destroying this church that God loves. And after he reminds them of this truth about the church, he goes on, and what we can see, I want to show you three ways in which pride will destroy the church. And the first way is this, guys. Pride leads to self-deception. All right, look at verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. All right, remember, Paul's writing to Christians, so Christians can be deceived. We can be self-deceived. If you guys love watching like American Idol, I think it's starting up pretty soon. This is like a persistent problem with humanity. We're just self-deceived. I'm great. I'm like, no, actually, you're terrible, right? This is that we can be self-deceived. 
He says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, and there it is, it's a prideful posture. I think I'm wise. I think I got it all figured out. I think I know everything. I don't really need God and his wisdom because I am in fact wise, because it's just pride. And what Paul goes on to say, let him, this prideful person, become a fool that he may become wise for the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, and he goes on, he quotes Job 5 and Psalm 94. He says, he catches, God catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Here's what Paul is saying. All right, the wisdom, this human wisdom that is foolish, is really just in the area of spiritual truth. All right, Paul's not talking about such things as like business and mathematics and science and mechanics and all that, because the truth is, is like we can be quite knowledgeable about those things without any special enlightenment from God. But where human wisdom becomes foolish and really just useless is in matters concerning God, salvation, and spiritual truth. That human wisdom has no way of discovering and understanding divine things on our own. That the created cannot understand the creator without significant help. And so Doxa, here's what this means, okay? What this means is that no one has the right, no one has the right to their own opinions about the things that God has revealed. See, when, when Christians, when we start like expressing and following like our own ideas about the gospel or the church or Christian living over what God has revealed in the Bible, division will happen. The church will not be unified. And this is all a result of pride. People just saying like, well, well this is the way I see it. I, like I know what it says, but it just doesn't make sense in my head. So this is the way I see it. And the culture of, in Corinth was one that was just like, it really valued intellect, it really valued like knowledge and wisdom. I mean, really just not too different from Madison today, especially the university, right? For you, you students, like you, you get this, but this was a very prideful culture where people, they listened to the smartest, the most articulate person who was just very confident in the, themselves. And in this church, there was a lot of people that just felt that they knew exactly what they were talking about. They, they thought that they knew exactly what was going on and they would articulate their position, they would answer questions, they would refute disagreements and people would follow these people because of their intellect and their skill. And what Paul is saying is that there's people gonna arise and come about in the church that they think that they're very spiritual, they think that they're very smart, they think that they've really figured it out, but they're self-deceived meaning that they, they lean on their own wisdom over God's wisdom, and they're confusing people and distorting the truth about God's word. I, mean, I, I share this all the time. One of the, one of the verses and the passages in the Bible that just like has stuck with me, Isaiah 55, verses eight and nine, is a passage that I always come back to, and I'm convinced that if we as a church would just like keep a tight hold on this, it would just diminish pride in us, because listen to this. This is what God says. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. All right, so God says, I've, I've made you with intelligence and understanding, and I, and I know you have thoughts and ways about things, but you need to understand something. You're not smarter than me, okay? 
So if you think that you're like really, really smart and you're smarter than God, like that's a whole nother sermon for a whole nother time. We'll talk about that at the men's retreat, right? But guys, he, this was what he's saying. He says, my thoughts and my ways on life are higher than yours, so you should listen. But see, here's the issue. Prideful people don't care about God's thoughts. They care about their own thoughts and they care about the smart people around them's thoughts. Prideful people don't care about God's ways. They care about their own ways and what makes sense to them. And this was a big problem in Corinth. It was, was causing so much division among the people and the church was starting to decline. And that pride just leads to self-deception. And so let me just get really practical and show you how this can work all right, and can just destroy the church. All right, when people are like really prideful, leaning on their own intellect, their own wisdom, and not on God's through the Bible, here's what can happen. Someone will say, you know, I've been, I've been thinking a lot about it, and I've actually been like studying quite a bit, and I've been talking to my professor who's brilliant and my colleagues that are just brilliant, and I do think that like Jesus was in fact a, a good teacher, but I, I'm not convinced that he's really God. I mean, there's a lot of brilliant people that don't believe that. And I'm starting to think that, that they're right and that people just started calling him God after he died. Paul says, deceived. Someone will say, like, you know, we, we really don't need the Bible. We really can't trust the Bible. I mean, it's a really, like, antiquated book. And we know so much more. We're way more intelligent. We have way more, like, access to, to science and technology than people did in antiquity. And so while it's an entertaining book, there is no way. It's definitely not a book of absolute truth. Paul says, deceived. Someone will say, like, I know I shouldn't be looking at pornography, but my wife is just kind of mean. Like, we're, we're not getting along together. Right, and so like rather than like cheating on her and like committing adultery, this is what I'm gonna do. So in fact, I'm like actually saving my marriage by looking at pornography. Paul says, you're deceived. How about this one? Like, man, I, I really don't think anyone is gonna go to hell. You know, in fact, I, I don't think that there is a hell. Like when we die, we just like cease to exist. I mean, I've, I've heard like lectures on this and it's really compelling. And all this like God talk is like, it's kind of weird. It's kind of like out there. It's foolish. So it just it doesn't make any sense. Paul says deceived. Doxa, Paul is talking to the Corinthians and God is using his words to talk to us today. And he's saying, this church and God's blessing on it could go away. That if a few of us decide to be very prideful and lean on our own intellect and the thoughts and the wisdom of this world around us, and we become self-deceived, here's what will happen. We'll start teaching our friends and family those things. And then they'll start teaching their friends and family those things. And soon enough, God's church is just filled with deception. And we go away from the word of God. Because the next thing you know, we, we all believe and we start to believe and what we do is just completely wrong in an opposition to God and his word. And Paul is saying, Corinthians, he's saying, Doxa, we cannot let this happen. This is the church of God. We have to be vigilant to ensure that like, we don't become people like this because if we do, we won't be the church anymore. We're simply just gonna be reduced to a gathering of people where God is not because we've turned our back on him. Pride which leads to self-deception, will just tear down the church. And this is why we need to be weak 
One of our core values, this is why we need to be humble and just foolish and Bible-saturated people. That we need to become fools, meaning we understand that we don't know the eternal things of God apart from his words to us. And so we listen to him, we believe in him, we follow him, we obey him. And this will be, if you actually do this, this will be deemed foolish to the world around us who doesn't know God. That if you guys, if we are actually living a life for and with Jesus for the glory of God, many people will just think that you're foolish, that you're crazy. And we, when confronted with that, we just kind of say, yeah, I guess so. And you need to be too because this is our only hope. The wisdom of the world rejects God and his words. And it's futile. This is what Paul says, meaning it's going to lead to destruction. It's going to deceive people and destroy the church. And that's why Paul says, become a fool for God. Because when you become a fool for God, Meaning like you understand that I cannot perceive spiritual truth on my own in my own wisdom, but God has to show it to me. And when I embrace that, when God shows it, people are going to look at me as I'm foolish. God says, it is then that you are actually wise. And so we become fools and we can take heart because God who allowed us to see and understand the gospel, he says, you're truly wise. I've allowed you to see, so stand firm in the midst of just a crazy culture. And so for all of you who are fools here today, for all of you fools who think that there is one God, that that God became a man named Jesus and died on the cross for your sins, for all you fools who, who believe that he raised back to life to forgive your sins, for all you fools who think that the Bible is true and it's all about Jesus, for all you fools who think that in the end we will stand before Jesus and he will judge our life and so what we actually do in this life actually matters, for all you fools who think that if you confess your sin to Jesus that he is actually faithful to forgive those sins, for all you fools who think that when you pray to Jesus that he's actually hearing you and he wants to answer to your prayers, for all you fools that are fighting against sin, that are trying to live for the glory and the honor of God today, and you're giving of your life, you're giving of your finances, you're giving of your love, God says, welcome to my family, you fool. And I stand with God and say, welcome to Doxa, a family full of fools. This is our, that's my sales pitch. If you're new, come back, okay? <laughs> right? That's what I got. But pride will keep us from God. Pride will deceive us and cause us to stray from God. And if we let it, pride will cause the destruction and decline of our church that Jesus died for. We can't let pride sneak into our church, Doxa. The second way that pride will destroy the church is due to the fact that pride destroys relationships. All right, verse 21. So let no one boast in men. All right, that because we, we know the truth of God, and, and even though the wisdom of the world is pushing hard against it all of the time, don't get caught up in the wisdom of the world that boasts in men, because it's not about men. It's not about any of us. It's all about Jesus. And so Paul says, so let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. Now, if you've been tracking with us as we've been going through 1 Corinthians, you remember that one of the main problems in Corinth that Paul has been dealing with is boasting. 
Right? It's, it's boasting in men, taking pride in like specific leaders. We saw this first come up in chapter one, verse 12, where people were saying, well, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas. And then we saw Paul like explicitly denounce this in verse 29 and 31. And then he picks up the problem again in chapter three, verse four. And now as he closes chapter three, he's on the same issue. In verse 21, he says, let no one boast in men. So there's this boasting in many people at Corinth. It's really just like this disposition to put oneself forward as noteworthy, to get praise from other people, or really even just to hop on the bandwagon of some noteworthy person so that you can vicariously kind of live in their glory and their praise. And this pride in self and this pride in other people was leading to just divisions in the church. It was breaking the relationships of God's people who are God's church. The people started, they started arguing and they started dividing over things. And Paul is saying, this is not the, who the church is. The church is a unified family. And if we allow pride and divisions to happen, this whole thing is gonna crumble. And this is why earlier in chapter three, last week, Roger talked about this. Paul talks about building on the right foundation. Right, Paul said in, in verse 10 and 11 that this church as it was started, like he built it on the foundation of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And this is the only true foundation that anything built on will last. All right, but the Corinthians, they started building on different foundations, such as these different leaders that we just got mentioned. And in their pride, they took their eyes off Jesus and they put it on these other people and they began to fight with one another and dislike one another because they were following these certain people that other people didn't like. And Paul is saying, guys, if you continue to do this, if you continue to divide, this whole thing is not gonna last. Because it's not about men and other things, it's about Jesus. And he basically says that as we work with God to build this church, we're all basically kind of like bricks. Right? And one brick can't say to the other brick, I really don't like you and I don't wanna be close to you. Because if that happens, the building will not be able to stand. The building only stands if the bricks are together. They have to be unified, they have to be humble, loving and interdependent and Paul is basically saying we cannot allow our church to be anything, be about anything except for Jesus. Because this is why we say it all the time, it's always about Jesus that in our pride, if our church becomes about a certain man or a certain leader or a certain initiative or a certain viewpoint or a certain political party, it is just gonna cause divisions and the church will decline and will fail to be the church that God intended. But then hear this, when conflict does emerge, guys, we are the church, right? We're sinful people. Whenever you get a bunch of sinful people locked in a room together, somebody's gonna die, right? <laughs> There's going to be conflict. It's gonna happen. Conflict is part of life. But when conflict does happen, the correct posture is one of humility, not pride. Like a humility that seeks unity, not a pride that wants to win and divide. Pride will cause us to not be like our Jesus. That Jesus was humble and loving and did everything to the will of the Father and his disposition towards people was love and sacrifice and unity, harmony. Philippians 2, I think it's gonna come up here, is this beautiful picture of Jesus. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible because I need to read it all the time because this is not who I naturally am. As Paul says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, 
any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, this was Jesus' posture. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. The world, the wisdom of the world, guys, will, will tell us, like, you need to fight for yourself. You need, to, you need to win. You need to stand up for all these things that you really believe. And it will divide people. It will totally destroy the church. And Paul is saying, don't align with the crooked and twisted generation, but shine as lights. Jesus came in as the light of the world and he was radically different. We need to be humble like our Jesus. Pride will rip us apart from one another, but gospel love and humility, like what we just read in Philippians 2, will unite us, allowing us to be the church that Jesus died for. So pride, causes self-deception, causes broken relationships, which will both destroy the church. And the last thing I want us to see is this, verse 21 again. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Here's the third thing that pride will do. Because pride will lead us to gospel amnesia. All right, as the Corinthians began to take their eyes off God and place it in these different teachers of the church, it caused them to forget the giving nature of God. That is, these people were, were arguing and dividing over which preacher and which leader they thought was the best. Paul's saying, do you not remember? Like, all things are yours. It's kind of like this, okay? Imagine you just built a house, brand new house, and you're going into it the first, for the first time. It just got completed. You walk in, the builder wants to kind of show you around and show you everything that he's done for you and all the different aspects to the house. But as you walk in, you just take a beeline straight to the kitchen and you get under the sink and you're just like, wow, I love this pipe work. And you're just fascinated. And the builder's like, oh yeah, okay. Like, you, you wanna go see the rest of the house because there's a lot of cool stuff in here. And you just respond, no man, I'm like totally good. I just wanna stay here and I just wanna look at this pipe work. Like the silicone, the caulking is like amazing. Like this, I, it can't get any better than this. And the builder's like, there's an entire house, like all for you. Why are you just fixating on that one thing? Paul says, all things are yours. He's saying, don't forget that God gives you everything. And don't forget this and cut yourself off by God or from God's riches by only listening to or reading or following me. Paul says, yeah, you can honor me as your pastor, but let all the faithful preachers of the Bible help you grow in your walk with God. Because God has like scattered his gifts and his knowledge throughout the church. And he's saying, don't get stuck under the sink when he's given you a whole house. And so Paul, Apollos, Cephas, God says, I've given them all to you for your good as a gift. So don't argue over them. They're all a gift. They're for you. you they're yours. 
And while each of them is different, they all love Jesus, they all believe the Bible, and so you can learn from every single one of them. They're yours. Pride will cause us to forget and dismiss the gifts that God has given us. And he doesn't just stop with these preachers, right? But he goes on, he says, but God has in fact given everything to us for the purpose of spiritual growth and for our journey heavenward, okay? All right, he says the world, the life, death, things present and future because everything ultimately belongs to Christ and God. And Paul says essentially the same thing in Romans 8.28. If you want to write that down, you can look it up later. I'm going to read it. Romans 8.28, Paul is saying the same thing. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Doxa, without qualification, all things are choreographed by the all-powerful, all-wise, all-knowing, all-loving God for the good of his people. And this will seem like foolishness to the world, but for the Christian living by the Holy Spirit, it's the wisdom of God. This is what Paul has been saying. And Paul is just reminding them of this because of their pride. It's growing and their focus is shifting. And they forgot like just the wonderful gifts and provisions that God had given through the gospel. And if they would just look through the lens of the gospel, they wouldn't be divided. They wouldn't be pride, prideful. And this is where he ends with verse 23. Guys, look at this. Verse 23, where does he end? The same place we're always at. Jesus. You are Christ's. You belong to Jesus. And Christ is God's. Doc said, Jesus Christ is God, who belongs to God the Father. And what he's saying is you need to look to Jesus for your example of what it means to be a faithful Christian because you're looking in the wrong place. And so many of us, we look in the wrong place. We're being influenced by the wisdom of the world. We're being influenced by other people. He's saying look to Jesus. Books and leaders and teachers, they're all great. But Paul is saying you guys need to primarily focus on Jesus, and if you wanna know how to protect your church and to live like a a decent, good, God-honoring life, here's the most important thing. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus, who although he was God, he humbled himself, came into human history, and willingly obeyed the Father even unto death. Because this is what it's all about. Jesus was humble, not proud be a church like that? Can we be a church like our Jesus? And when we fail to be that church, can we be the first to repent and go to God and say, I know you're faithful and just to forgive, like forgive me of my pride. Create in me a new heart. Empower me by your spirit to live like Jesus, the Jesus that I see in Philippians chapter two. Can we be a church like that, Doxa? This is the prayer. And this is something that we need to be on our knees because none of us are gonna naturally be humble people because we're sinners, but we have a savior and he helps us. Humble like Jesus for the glory of God and the good of Madison. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you for even just this, uh, yeah, this, this warning to us. God, we, we feel so like honored to be part of, of this church family that 
that you have established and are, are growing and we love just having like a front row seat to watching you change lives and save lives. We love watching stories like David just standing up here and being like two years sober and it's the power of God. We love to celebrate stuff like that. And we want to be part of it. And God, we hear you today. And we don't want to get in the way. We don't want to let our pride get in the way of what you want to do and how you want to work. And so would you just help us to be a church that is just weak, that is humble, that's just filled with fools for Christ. And so we love you. And we just ask you to help us because the truth of John 15, that apart from you, we can do nothing is so true. Even as we talk about killing our pride and being humble. And so Jesus, we, we look to you and we celebrate that you have given all things to us. And we worship you for that. We pray this in Jesus' name.